Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin. I'm here with my co-hosts, the Elizabeth Woodson and Adam Hawkins. Elizabeth and Adam, how was your Easter? It was different, but it was still good. Different. Different. I, I celebrate you by myself, Adam. So <laughs> I think it's a little different. <laughs> it was still good. It was still good. Hawkins. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think that's that's right. It was it was good but different. It was tinged with a lot of sadness, especially around Good Friday and Easter itself and the services. You know, I just felt the lack of connecting with with church family. Really, you know, um, it was you know since I've been on staff six years or whatever, this is the first one where being at church and being with the staff and being with my family, you know, hasn't been a big part of it. And that was, that was hard. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad you guys talked about it like that because today we're going to get to talk a little bit more about connecting and especially in a time where I feel like this is top of people's minds. We've got a really special guest with us, somebody I'm really excited to be talking to, somebody I've been begging David, hey, you know who we should get on in the midst of COVID especially, but in general is Lori. And Lori is going to speak to us tonight, Lori Ferguson Wilbert, about her new book and about everything else. But unfortunately, we're not able to be in the same room. But Lori, I'm so glad you're joining us. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm really well. Yeah. Good. Awesome. I'm so so glad you're with us. So today we're going to talk to uh, Lori about her new book, Handle with Care, How Jesus Redeems the Power of Touch in Life and Ministry. And we'll discuss God's vision for human touch, how sin affects that, how Christ redeems it. We'll also look at how this idea connects to our current situation with uh, COVID-19. So without further ado, let's get right to it. So first, uh, let's start by introducing our guest. Lori is a very gifted, and when I say very gifted, I mean I love what she writes, whether it's on, uh, I follow her on Instagram, I love her Instagram posts, but uh, she's been blogging for a long time. She's been published by Christianity Today, Fathom Magazine, Lifeway, the Gospel Coalition, and so many other places. She teaches writing and edits on the side, and you can read more of her work at sayable.net, and she and her husband... Uh, live with their Wheaton Terrier, their books, their gardens, and their stock tea box at all times right here in Texas. Lori, what's something else about you that we didn't cover that uh, maybe people need to know about you as we get started? Oh, goodness. I feel like I try to squeeze it all into that bio right there. Isn't that the point of a bio? <laughs> um, I hate writing bios. That's something. Um yeah, someone told me the other day, they said, you've been blogging for 20 years. So that's something, maybe. Yeah, 20 years. Yeah. Is wow. there, have you ever gone back years later and deleted a blog? Oh, goodness. Yes. I mean, <laughs> dozens of times, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so if we were to do a deep dive on Sable tonight, we could find something that you wish was not there anymore? Or do you feel like you cleaned it out pretty good? Yeah, probably not on, on this iteration of Sable. This, this last migration, I, I, I did a pretty good cleanup. But, you know, things that I wrote 20 years ago in 2000, you know, as a 19-year-old, <laughs> for sure, those things hopefully are not still lurking on the internet somewhere. Oh, they're out there somewhere. There's an internet time machine that I'm always afraid of, somebody gearing up and searching for me. Uh, if they do, you know what? I was 19. People change and they grow and they mature and they heal. And so 
Uh, let me caveat. Some people change mature. True. And, yes. <laughs> but Lily, I, I hope that I have grown and changed and matured. <laughs> That's my prayer. Well, let's start with talking about this book that you wrote. Uh, why did you write this book? Tell us a little bit about it, if you could, just kind of in general. Yeah, so it's a book. It's, you know, the tagline is a mouthful, but how Jesus redeems the power of touch and life in ministry. I didn't write the tagline. Um, that's why it's a mouthful for me. Uh, I think I I realized I was really confused about touch at some point, And then I realized I was looking around me at culture and I realized I think our whole culture and world and church is confused about touch. And, um, and I thought, well, I wonder what's been written on that. And what I found was that within the church and within Christian literature, almost nothing had been written about it. I mean, I finding resources was really difficult for this project. And so I just thought, well, I don't know. So I, I, you know, someone told me one time, there's two kinds of people who write a book. One is an expert who wants to tell everyone what to think. And the other is someone who doesn't know what they think and they just want to explore it. And so I think that's where I was. I just landed in that place where I thought, I just want to explore this and I want to bring readers along on this exploration. So it's not the end of a conversation. I hope it's just the beginning of a conversation. Um, I I did not make it, you know, I didn't close the conversation at the end of the book. I, I kind of left it open-ended on purpose. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I wish more, I, honestly, I wish more of what was written today and put out today was more original thought like this. There is so many rehashings or people just trying to make a dollar off whatever the um, uh, rehashing their version of a new idea. But I do feel like this book is something fresh and a little bit different. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, as you uh, thought about this before you wrote it or as you wrote it, what developed in your theology of touch and what is what is God's view of touch? Why Why is that important for people to understand? I think what developed most of all was, and I think if, if you read the book, you realize, oh, this isn't actually just about touch. This is about embodiment. It's more of a theology of embodiment. And um, I think there has been a lot written, especially in church history, on embodiment. But I, when I look at contemporary writing, there's not a lot on embodiment. And I think in the church, the conversation centers on our minds and our hearts so, you know, the problem is our, with our heart. We need to get our hearts right before the Lord. You know, all the tropes invite Jesus into your heart. It's a heart relationship. But then there's also this mind where we want to talk about teaching and filling our minds with, with Scripture and, um, and learning who God is and studying theology and those kind of things. And just as um, I was used the illustration of the Trinity, just as the Trinity is complex and we don't fully understand it, and but we still try to enter into it, I think the relationship between our body and our mind and our uh, spirit and our heart and our all of those things it's very complex, but they all matter. And if we if we leave one out, I always compare it to you know if you. Uh, if you only went to the gym and you only worked out the left side of your body, you would look like a freak. <laughs> um, and you wouldn't be like, you wouldn't look like a strong person because you'd only be exercising this, these, you know, you know, two parts of your body. Uh, and you wouldn't be very efficient or you, you wouldn't be whole in a lot of ways. And I think in the church, I, I really lament the, the lack of, talk around embodiment and the effects of speaking not just about um, not just about 
I think we talk about sin a lot in regard to the body, but we don't often talk talk about just like the beauty and the goodness and and the and God's creation and his faithfulness and his intention for the body. And so yeah, I think it's really beautiful and it's really lacking. I and I, I'm encouraged because I see sort of this uptick in this on this subject happening right now. And I'm encouraged by that. I hope I know it'll, you know. Of course, there's going to be some junk there, but hopefully there's some good, solid stuff being preached and taught and brought into the church right now. You know, Lori, as I was reading through your book and at the beginning when you're talking about all these places, um, specifically in the church, where just touch is not present in a really healthy way, I just found myself thinking about, yeah, that is not an experience that I've had or that I'm having just in church community. And I think specifically when you were talking about, in addition to your emotion and your intellect needing to be transformed, it's just like sometimes you just needed a hug and just the humanity of of touch and what it does for us to be able to acknowledge people's humanity and have our humanity acknowledged. And so can you talk about why touch is so important for human flourishing? Yeah, I think so. There's the 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 science level of it. So like the physiological things that happen. There's the oxytocin. There's the endorphins that happen when we're hugged or when we're just merely have a hand put on our shoulder. Um, I remember one time like a year and a half ago, I was up front praying at church, and this woman's total stranger came up to me and she said, um, "I just need a hug." She didn't need prayer. She didn't need me to say anything to her. She said, "I need a hug." Will you hold me? And so I just held her for like five minutes and she didn't cry. It was not like super emotional experience, but she, you know, when she walked back, she said, thank you. I feel so much better. Um, and so there's that sort of physiological thing happening. But I, I think when we back way, way up from that, I think the first thing that we see, the sort of the first action of God that we see with his creation is him forming man and and women and woman. And so the first act of God with creation, with his, with humans, is to touch them. And I think we should pay attention to that. I don't think that's a mistake. I think that's very intentional. He could have created us, you know, formless spirits sort of floating through <laughs> through the air, um, or not even in earth, you know, on earth, in amongst matter. Uh, but he didn't. He put us in a material world. world. He put us amongst material things, um, and he gave us bodies, and then he touched the bodies. He formed the bodies. And when he came in the form of Jesus, Jesus came as a body and interacted with bodies as a body. And I think we have to pay attention to that. We can't not pay attention to that. And it has to bear weight on how we live as Christians. And I think oftentimes we're just we're uncomfortable with it. It's a difficult subject. It's really nuanced. It's hard to give prescriptive answers. And so it's really hard to talk about. It's interesting, Lori, as you talk about touch, I can't help but hear all the way, all the different ways of touch. So you're talking about God forming. So there's this touch that forms. You're talking about somebody coming up, you know, being in the front row and just needing a hug. And I just, as it's coming in there, you keep talking about the nuance and complexity of everything, but I'm, I'm wondering specifically if there's a difference between touch and physical intimacy. And, you know, I don't necessarily think we, we, I'm even talking about something more like a sexual type of touch. I just mean like a, the difference between a hug and a formative touch or, or those kind of things. Do you explore that in the book? What, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I'm thinking through as I was writing the book was sort of a, not, not completely a corrective to things like purity culture and things like that, um, where sort of all touch is seen as sexual, all intimacy is seen as sexual. So a little bit of a corrective to the, toward that. Um, but I think it's really just human nature in a lot of ways because it's it's part of our sin nature. It's part of just the brokenness in the world for us to sort of take things to their most grievous end, I think, in a lot of ways, and to see things in the most grievous sort of light. And I think as Christians, part of our work is to see things as God sees them and to be participating in the work of um, reconciliation of all things, to be participating in the work of of bringing good, true, beautiful things to light and to life. And so part of our work as Christians is to not just um, treat something that sin does obviously bear weight on it in difficult, you know, broken ways. It's to take that thing and to begin to redeem it in, in beautiful ways. And so the subtitle, How Jesus Redeems the Power of Touch. So we have to play a part in that redemption process. Lori, you just mentioned a little bit of uh, how uh, your book is about redeeming this idea of touch. Can you tell us a little bit about how you see how sin has messed this up? Because I hear you not just saying maybe the ways that we would normally think of like, yes, yeah, sin, you know, we think of abuses and we think of uh, uh, because of assault and because of um, uh, comfort level, maybe we've, we've, uh, we've seen sin experience it up in, in maybe, um, maybe what people call extreme ways. But I think also what you're talking about is that our view of it is we can have a sinful view of touch. It's not just that we're trying to be really careful not to sin. It's that literally the mindset we've had around touch has been impacted in a way that is not godly. Can you tell me a little bit about how sin has affected touch and the way we think about it? Yeah, I think there's two primary ways that I think about it. Um, And one is control. Um, And so we want to sort of control the outcome of situations. Um, And I think the other is fear. And we fear outcomes. So my husband and I, we have a sort of a saying in our house that says, we have to be faithful to the word of God and not to an outcome. And I think when it comes to touch, we are so afraid of the outcome or we so much want to control the outcome that we are not faithful to the word of God in a lot of ways. Um, Not in every way, of course, but I think far too often we sort of draw tighter restrictions and boundaries around what is good and not just permissible, but but healthy and right and um, and God-ordained around these things, uh, just because we are controlling and fearful people. So I think those are two ways that sin has really wrecked this up. And you see that in way in, you know, you know, and I'm so I just want to be clear. I'm very clear in the book that I don't give prescriptive advice and I don't think that we need to tell people how they need to be treating like handling their bodies. Um, that is really between them and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And we should we we should let that bear deep, heavy weight on on us and when we're telling people. Um, what they should do. But I think there's just tropes around, you know, side hugs and things like that, where it's like, man, have you just thought about what you're doing there? Like, have you thought, have you actually thought about how you're caring for your own body or caring for the body of the other person that you're hugging? Um, Or is this just about control and not not spirit-led self-control, 
but just about like controlling an outcome or controlling a perception or controlling an appearance and that kind of thing. Does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense. And I mean, I, I, I'm picking up on what you're saying and I, I mean, I've seen it, I've seen it play out. I've seen the, you know, I've seen people sort of be skeptical when they, if, if they see people acting more freely with it, you know? And so the immediate, to, to your point about fear, the immediate perception is, Oh wait, there's something off about a guy giving a, a girl a hug. Um, you know, that's not their wife or something. It's the, you know, like the, the sort of, and it's almost become a bit tired to, to criticize it, but it's like the Billy Graham rule kind of a thing, how there's been sort of a, a corrective or a, just a thought about like, what, what message are we communicating when we, when we talk about that, like that all females are dangerous or something. And I think in the same sense, it's like, I've seen that play out where it's like all, touch needs to be met with a certain amount of skepticism and just i love the idea of of approaching that idea with skepticism you know um there there is something so human i I love the way you're describing it there's just something so human about touch we are creatures or physical and we can't get through this life without it and you know so i I don't know I, i think it makes perfect sense I also love what you said about not being prescriptive around it. I know that the longer that I've been around ministry, and I'll tell you that I have uh, an advantage that I didn't recognize for a long time. Now being a married man, I feel more free to interact with women without there being kind of a wondering, what are my intentions here? Like, I hope my intentions are really clear. I am married. I am not trying to come on to anybody as I'm giving them a hug at church. It is simply out of love and affection. So I've had single women, particularly older single women in our church who have said, man, this is the only hug I get all week. The only touch I get all week is when I come to church and receive a hug. And I also have seen other extremes where we've had uh, particularly the women in our church who have been abused, who even as we're praying for them, have said, will you please not put hands on me while we're praying? I just don't, uh, or even I, I don't feel comfortable being in the room. And so making sure that we're not saying, and you're not saying like, this is the, everybody needs to get over this, or everybody needs to do that. But rather we cannot, maybe baby in bathwater is the idea. We can't just say like, hey, no one is allowed to touch anybody ever. No one is allowed to communicate through touch ever. And um, even in, I think of other cultures, we've talked about this in in, uh, our men's Bible study several times, but there are a lot of Middle Eastern cultures where men holding hands, or uh, I have a friend who's Middle Eastern, he kisses me on the cheek when he gets excited about something. And to him, it's it's non-sexual. It's not like, he's he's communicating a, a level of friendliness that I'm not familiar with, and I may be uncomfortable with to an extent, but culturally, there are a lot of these differences too, but also a lot of abuses, traumas, and things lead to different views on these things. Yeah, I think one of the, I would say one of the life-changing, there are very, I use that word very, very seriously. Like there's, there are very few books that have really been life-changing for me, and this is really one of them, was Andy Crouch's book, Strong and Weak, and particularly the, the section where he talks about those four quadrants. And I just encourage listeners to go Google that really quickly, Andy Crouch, four quadrants, um, and so he, he specifically says that if we do not have both authority and vulnerability, we cannot have human flourishing. And I think when we sort of let that bear weight across the board on every single human we encounter, including ourselves, we see that, that that's true. And if you don't have um, autonomy and authority over your body in the sense that you can tell someone, I don't want to be touched, I don't want to be 
um, hugged and that's okay. It doesn't, it has says nothing about the other person. It's not, it is not about their body. It's about your body and the way that God has, God has stewarded your body to you, um, to navigate the world and to, um, preach the gospel in many different ways. Um, one gospel, many different ways that that's going to be preached. And for some people, that it's not going to be a super, there's maybe been some harm or abuse or some fears that just, some wounds and scars that are just not healed yet. And that's okay. Jesus, uh, Zach Eswine says, we can't heal what Jesus left unhealed. And so that's really hard because we want to heal, but we have to trust that Jesus is the healer and he will heal all things someday, but not all things are healed today. And so we have to allow people to have autonomy and authority over their body. And yet we also have to exercise vulnerability. We have to sometimes trust people and trust God and trust that God is in the work of healing, even though it's really difficult and and maybe it's baby steps, you know, to 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 get into that process. But I think when we look at the life of Jesus, we see perfect authority and perfect vulnerability. And that's, you know, that's what Andy Crouch talks so much about. And that I tried to keep that in mind the whole time I was writing the book because I don't want anyone to think um, that I want to steal away their vulnerability or steal away their autonomy and authority over their body. Those things are really important and God-given, and they do lead to human flourishing when we exercise them. You know, I think about some of the reasons why we don't find our space in that find ourselves in that space of authority and vulnerability a lot of times is fear. You know, I think going back to the control you were talking about and as a single in particular, and let me just say, reading your chapter on, on the singleness, like I teared up. I was just like, this is the experience that I've had. And so I just, I think I just wanted to appreciate you for just sharing that. Um, Cause I think touch for singles is something we don't talk a lot about, but that we need so desperately um, and don't get a lot just because of the nature of being single. When we think about male relationships, you know, I think a lot of times that gets a little wonky because of the fear, because we want to control perception or we buy into some of the negative narratives or just are walking in kind of the sinful perception of sin. How do we begin to understand what's appropriate for those male and female relationships and what's not? Yeah, so I think there's things that are clearly sin. So any sort of sexual touch outside of marriage, let's just let's call it sin. That's that's good and healthy. Um, I think I think so much. And the, the book is called Handle with Care, and it's because we want to we need to handle the person in front of us with care. And sometimes the person in front of us is the opposite gender, and they need to be cared for by. Um, getting a hug. So we, you know, we led a home group for a couple of years and there, I would say half of it was, it was unmarried people. And one guy in particular, he's, you know, on staff at church, always around Christians. And he would come to home group and he'd say, I get more hugs in these three hours than I get in my whole week. And, um, and that's, we want to care for him by giving that to him. If that's the only space where he's getting that, um, that's important. And so we just need to pay attention to the person in front of us and what their story is. And I write a lot about, you know, how we carry our stories with us and we can't, there's, we can't separate ourselves from our story. It is, you know, Bessel van der Kolk talks about our bodies keeping the score of our stories. And so that is profound when we think about not just our own personal story, but when we think about our generational stories, when we think about, um, 
you know, our fathers and their fathers. And, and But also when we think about just spiritual story, spiritual generation, those kind of things, we bear all that on our body. We carry that with us. And yes, the cross changes it and the cross redeems it, but we still carry it with us as long as we are in the already not yet. And so I think it's so important for us to remember that everyone's carrying a story um, in every relationship. And so I have to come to them knowing that their story is not, not my story. And I need to care for them by knowing their story and hearing their story and learning their story and caring more about their story in that moment than I care about my own story in some ways. Um, and I think that is, that's one part of it. I think another part of it is that we tend to see, uh, our fellow image bearers and our brothers and sisters in Christ primarily as men and women. We, we tend to define them primarily by their, their gender and which is, yes, that's a part of who we are, but primarily we're image bearers of God. And, and primarily scripture talks about us as brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the family of God. And so we need to stop thinking of people as merely or mostly sexual beings we are not merely or mostly sexual. That's a part of us. And uh, so we can't act like every, that's the culmination or that's the, you know, the whole of a person. And I think it could bring such freedom. It's brought so much freedom in our lives and our friendships and the men and women that we inter- interact with. And again, I don't want to be prescriptive, um, but I think changing that mindset has been so helpful in our friendships, um, both guys and girls know when they come to the Wilbert's house, they are going to get a hug, a good, tight front hug from both Lori and Nate. And, um, and I think that means a lot. I hope that means a lot. I think it does. Um, I think it can really redeem, not just, I think, man, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up just hearing that like sex was the glue that had held marriages together. And I, yeah, we've been married for five years now. And I'm like, no, I, I think friendship is the glue that holds marriage together. And if we can have a better theology around friendship, male-female friendship, I just think marriages could be so much more healthy. Yes, and amen. Uh, mm. I think this is like this really beautiful picture of what the family of God can be, I think has yeah. room to grow into of what it just really means to see people um, and see them in the fullness of their embodiment as a human and all the things and the intentionality of God giving us this body and that your body is not a threat to someone else. That yes. Um, our own fears to just love really well. And I have um, male friends who overcome some of those um, kind of cultural boundaries that are put up sometimes. And it's it gives me so much life. I think, Adam, you were talking about some of the single women in your congregation and just because there's some days I'm just like, I just need a hug and I need somebody to hug me and this not to be weird. And the people who choose to do that for me, it just, man, it's a beautiful thing. And so I think it's a beautiful picture that the church has an opportunity to walk into. Adam, did you want to take us to maybe what are the, some of the questions out there about, I, I would imagine that this particular time right now, there's a lot of questions around touch. I don't know if you've hit that at all in Citizens Church, but at Eastside, you know, for... And Elizabeth's mentioned this kind of too, being on her own during quarantine. But touch has been a uh, top of the mind issue for our culture right now. Adam, have you guys seen that a lot of citizens as well? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, it's probably not talked about, but I think one of the um, the losses to lament in this time period has been obviously connection, but connection through touch is certainly one. And I, I have wondered, um, even in just thinking back to those studies, you know, uh, where they, and it's not, it wasn't even on humans, but I remember being a kid and watching this study that they did on monkeys where they, they either gave it like if they took it away from its mom, this, this was a terrible study and they either placed it on like a, a metal cage version of a monkey, or there was like a soft stuffed animal version mimicking like a touch. And those monkeys who were deprived of touch with their mothers or a soft stand in had looked like, um, I, the, the only way I can describe it is like sort of as they tried to socialize these baby monkeys with other monkeys who were who had been able to be with their moms, they sort of walked around and like scratched their heads and stood in the corner. And it was like really pretty sad, frankly. And and that was the first time I think I ever thought, wow, um, to deprive yourself or others of touch with other human beings, there there is a way we communicate and interact that's so important there. And I've wondered what the the effect of the lack of touch through this pandemic will actually have. Like if we will see real effects uh, uh, of this social distancing in another way. And I, I'm not look, I'm not even trying to be like political or call into question. I'm, that these are times that call for desperate measures, but I think I think there will be a price to pay, and so I, I wonder. Um, I, I don't know, Lori. I don't I don't know what you think about that. But in this age of COVID nineteen, um, one is there a way to talk about the importance of touch even in the midst of social distancing and and without kind of coming across as as uh, i guess like political or something um and and i don't mean the word political but polemical maybe is the better word or or or, um should we just should we just ignore the downfall right now and kind of suck it up no (laughs) the answer to that is no um yes so back to the monkey study yeah physiological things happen in our brains when we're when we're untouched yeah and uh, it causes all kinds of attachment issues especially for young children and Mm. uh, babies when they're first born but even as we get older you know if you you aren't tending your garden your garden's going to die um Mm. we all live in texas and we know that um (laughs) and so we have to tend people and we have to attend to our own body. So I have a whole chapter in the book on self-touch. And um, people are always like, is that about masturbation? And yes, it is partially, but mostly it's on just the the reality of, and, and scripture even, the permission that scripture gives to care for our own bodies. Mm-hmm. And so I think in moments like these, it is going to be very important for people who live alone. So I'm very aware right now of my Elizabeth of my single brothers and sisters right now. And I'm, I am trying to encourage them as much, much as possible to, if they live with roommates to go give hugs and ask for hugs. So don't just hug, be hugged, but also hug. Um, But also self, there are appropriate, good, healthy ways to touch your own body with your own hands in a way that can accomplish to some measure, some of the same physiological, healthy, um, and emotional. Um, it's not the same. It's not a replacement. It's not going to fix. It is definitely in some ways, it's just going to kind of scratch an itch. It's not going to make the itch go away, but it will help. Um, 
And I think when it comes to family units or roommates, um, I think hopefully people are not ships passing in the night right now. I know we're not in our home. Um, we're with one another 24-7 right now. And so I think as much as possible, we need to be thinking about the people with whom we live and giving them um, good, healthy touch. Everyone's nervous systems are activated right now. Everyone's, you know, their their brain is is their brains are feeling anxious or feeling worried or, or feeling trapped or all those things and being touched. It doesn't fix everything. It can't fix everything, but it sure can help. And I think we need to be thinking about creative ways to, to engage our hands uh, and our bodies with, mm-hmm. with the people with whom we live and, um, and be especially strategic if we live by ourselves. Yeah, I think more than ever before in my life, I don't know that I've ever had a season where I'm more aware of touch or lack thereof than I am right now. It's part of the reason I really wanted to talk to you about this book and, and having a theology around this. I've I've never felt so awkward as I'm meeting new neighbors in my neighborhood and not being able to even shake a hand or get close enough. Or as we welcomed a new member of our staff, I couldn't shake his hand or give him a hug or introduce him to somebody. It just feels strange to have removed touch from my life. It feels very strange. And I want to turn the corner here as we as we end. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, what, you, what you've seen in churches, what you see in Christ, and, and talk about the redemption story. But real quick, let me mention one more of our sponsors. LifeWay has a new study based on Barnabas Piper's book called Help My Unbelief. And this is going to be is so helpful for so many of you. I, I feel like one of the things outside of touch, like we're talking about today, that I feel like we have to give permission a lot for in the church is to be expressive about our doubts, is to say, where do you, what are the questions that linger for you? What are the things about our faith that you're just not sure where you land? And whether that's about particular tenets or about realities of scriptural narratives, it's it's very, very common, and one of my favorite things about Christianity is that it's a safe place mm-hmm. to ask questions because we shouldn't be afraid of finding the answers because they are there, and it, what we believe is true. And therefore, let's feel safe asking even difficult questions. And so Lifeway has this new study by Barnabas Piper called Help My Unbelief, and you can find that by going to lifeway.com slash helpmyunbelief. That's lifeway.com slash Help my unbelief. And it's a great way to explore that world of doubt. Uh, Lori, as we close out here, can you talk to us a little bit about how you do? You mentioned this a little bit earlier in general, but specifically, where do you see Christ redeeming touch? Where do you see that in scripture? Where do you like, what do you point to and say, see, this is how we know that Christ redeems what we have made taboo or what we have made uncomfortable. Yeah, I think if you start looking at the life of Christ, you see it. You can't not see it. It's everywhere in the Gospels. Um, in ev- almost every single narrative where Jesus is showing up, he's he's touching people or he's letting himself be touched by people. Um, I think particularly when I think about sort of intimacy, not merely as a sexual thing, I think we see Jesus uh, being very intimate. And um, so we see him with John resting against his his chest at the Last Supper. We see Mary anointing his head. I mean, that's think about that. Think about the last time someone touched your head. That's like a that feels like a very intimate thing. Not, I mean, 
yeah, you go to the hairdresser and get that done. But like, not that kind of touch, like handling your head just feels like a very intimate thing. Um, But then we also see Mary washing Jesus' feet and wiping them with her hair. These are all very intimate acts. Um, I was thinking about this this past week because it was Holy Week, and I was thinking about Maundy Thursday. And normally we go to a Tenebrae service on, on Thursday of Holy Week, and we obviously weren't this past week. And I was thinking, what's the way we can kind of mark this day in our home? And I was thinking, well, we could wash each other's feet. And immediately this, like, feeling kind of went through. And I'm like, my husband rubs my feet. I rub his feet. Like, we're not, we're, like, touchy. We we have no problem doing that. But there was something about it that just felt strangely intimate to me in a way that uh, felt even more intimate than simply rubbing each other's feet. And I thought, what is that? I want to pay attention to that um, because that I think that 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 kind of intimacy is the kind of intimacy that a child of God who is loved by God. And I think when, when we think about John resting against Jesus, um, you know, John again and again in his, in his gospel, he's you know the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wants to tell us. He's like shouting it from the mountaintops. I think he says it like three or four times, and. I always thought he was kind of bragging about that. But the more that I w- was thinking about who John was and in the in the context of of his gospel um, and his emphasis on abiding in Christ, I thought, man, the gift of the one who abides in Christ is intimacy with Christ and intimacy with one another. And that is powerful. I mean, that's that makes me want to cry right now. Like if we are, if we understand our security in Christ and our and our abiding in the vine, that frees us to uh, do a lot of things with our hands that we might not have done before, including washing our husband's feet on Monday Thursday. Um, so I think, and again, it's all through. I think all through Scripture, when you're looking for it, um, you start to see it everywhere. Jesus is. He's not just coming to redeem touch, obviously. He's coming to redeem all things. He's coming to reconcile all things to himself, but touch is just one. And I think you can't not see it when you start reading the Gospels through that lens. So did you guys wash each other's feet? We didn't. I feel so ashamed to tell you guys that. No, I thought about it earlier in the day, and then like the, the evening got away. We were baking, um, we, were, we were baking bread for—we actually— baked a bunch of bread and then brought it to a bunch of people who we love and handed it to them from arm's length away. So we're doing that on Thursday. Well, um, no, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. I just, oh, no, it's funny. um, you know, as, as, as a, as a pastor, um, I'm, you know, the people on this podcast work at a church, Lori, you, you've just been so in, involved, uh, in the church world, um, you know, what, what, what is the ways that churches can highlight this reality, the need for touch, you know, especially given the need to be cognizant for the stories of harm, right, that, that also exists? What are ways that we could lead by example in this, do you think? I, I love, uh, so one of the stories I share early on in the book is from John Piper. He shared it like 10 years ago, and it's always stuck out to me. But he was telling the story of this woman in his church who was an older unmarried woman, and she would self-harm so that she would go to the hospital. And this just happened again and again and again. And finally, Pastor Piper said, what's going on? Like, what? 
help me understand what's what's happening in your heart here. Um, why, you know, he's thinking, is there, He just, he's thinking very, com- like there's a co- very complex answer that she's going to give. And she, her answer was so simple. She said, I like it when they touch me. So here's this woman who lives alone, an older unmarried woman who is not getting any touch in her life. And she thinks the only way I'm going to get touch and not even healthy touch. It's like, it's like medical touch. Mm. You know, the only way I'm going to get that is by harming my body. Mm. Cause you're not getting that at, at church and pastor Piper, pastor John said, he said, God, make me a good, pure pastoral ministering hugger. Mm. And that, that phrase has stuck out to me um, since I read it. God make us pure ministering pastoral faithful huggers. Um, and again, my aim is not to make everyone a hugger. That's not the aim of the book. But I think the motivation of the heart is so important. So help us to be pure, ministering, faithful, and willing to hug if that's necessary in that moment. So I think we just have to make ourselves vulnerable. I, and I, I I, think we're in, it is such a difficult culture and I want to talk about this stuff because by making ourselves vulnerable, we're opening ourselves up to all kinds of possible accusations. And I think we just have to be really mindful. We have to remember the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We have to remember we don't know everyone's story and we carry our story with us and they carry their story with them. We have to ask permission. I think that permission is so important. So even the woman, so when I remember this, I'm like, oh, that I that seems really silly, but I remember when the woman came up to me to to ask for a hug at church a couple of years ago. She asked me for a hug, and I still said, "Can I hug you now?" And I think that's so important, even when someone asks, just to clarify, "Is this what you want? Is this okay?" Um, and that's okay. It's a humbling thing to ask. It puts us, us in a vulnerable place to ask that question, but it puts someone in a vulnerable place to be touched. And so, I think. I, I'm I'm such a big fan of like awkward questions. I think awkward questions are important. Um, they're awkward because they're hard, but we need to enter into those places and not just let them sort of stand in the air, you know, unasked. Because mm. that's when you know assumptions happen, and that's that's just not a good space. I love what you're saying. I think that was our really important cautions in this conversation too to talk about permission. It made me think of. A few years ago when my wife was pregnant with our first son, so this has to be almost a decade ago, and there was a guy that lived in our apartment complex that we didn't know super well, but we'd see him around, and one day we were near each other, and he reached over and started touching my wife's belly, (laughs) and she was not having it. And if you know my wife, it didn't take her long to let him know that he did not have permission to be doing what he was doing, and if he didn't, if, if he felt awkward about asking, he certainly felt awkward about what happened after not asking. And I do think we need to create space where it's okay to say, hey, could I give you a hug right now? And it's okay to say no to things. Yeah. And giving people the permission, especially in our culture right now that is so high on consent, and we love consent, and for good reason, because a lot of people's lack of consent has been abused because they're in a disempowered position. <laughs> so making sure that the kind of touch that someone is receiving, wanting, is communicated clearly. Uh, I can tell you when a single woman has told me, 
that a hug has meant the world to her at church. I have registered that in my mind, that this is a person that is communi- that is hearing me safely love them in this moment, not confusing this for something else. And it is very easy to confuse these for something else or to feel obligated. And we even tell our kids, you never have to feel obligated to give somebody a hug. And if somebody's asking you for touch, you don't have to feel like you have to let them. And that's one of the important things we do in parent training or as we talk about abuse situations with kids. But if in that we throw out what is the gift of brotherly, sisterly affection, then throw out if somebody wants to receive something, we say, well, there's just no version of that that's safe for any one of us. Then we are removing from each other the the gift that the Lord has given us in this. Before we close out with Lori here in a second, Elizabeth, uh, I know that you've you've really been uh, blessed by the book. You've got great thoughts on this. As a single woman, is there anything you could do to encourage those out there who maybe like you are right now uh, alone more uh, during COVID than they have been in the last couple months? But I think what was so sweet about reading through your book, Lori, was just the willingness to be able to admit that it's hard and it's okay. You shouldn't feel bad for missing that aspect of your life. You know, I think that there are things that we can enter into in a healthy way as singles, but there's just just giving people space to just say what I'm feeling is okay. I'm missing something that's a healthy part of my life in this season. This is not normal. Um, and the Lord is present with us in it and all those things, but just being able to admit that and lament that to me is a is a healthy space for folks who are going through this the same process with me because I have to yeah. lament it and admit it myself. That's great. That's so good. Lori, any final thoughts for our people that uh, right now may be picking up your book on Kindle or, or buying your book right now in the midst of what is a, a, a touch-hungry environment where a lot of people are alone? Any encouraging words for people? Yeah, I think I've, I've, I have been really lamenting the timing of this release um, just because it's like literally, you know, it, it released a month after or a month before we're all told don't touch anyone. So really been sad about that. And I've been trying to just think, you know, there are times and periods in our lives when we're fasting from something. So, um, Elizabeth, right now you're fasting from a form of inf- intimacy that is that is uh, a part of how God made you. Um, and right now we are all fasting from something that is a part of how God made us. And, and when we fast from something, God helps us to rightly order things. He helps us when we return to that thing. He helps us to see it in light of uh, who he is and um, what sort of the culmination of all things will look like. And um, uh, a fast is a good thing. And sometimes it can be a really powerful thing. And hopefully when we come back together, I don't know when that will be. Um, I think it'll probably be, if I'm honest, I think it'll probably be years in some ways before some people feel free to to be touched and to touch again. Um I'm just thinking about immunocompromised people and older people. And so I, I just think we have to be, we have to care for those people really well. But also my prayer is just that this would be, this would be like a season of fasting and it would create a greater hunger for a good thing. Um, but that we would, we would leave it with a more ordered view uh, of it. What a perfect metaphor. That's so great. The fast does create the appreciation for the feast, right? Mm-hmm. And so if if right now what we've been deprived of is something beautiful, then how much more will we appreciate it, hopefully, and sense, have the sense of gratitude and health around a great version of it when we get to reenter it? Or even as you talk about the Lord's redemption in something, 
as we enter into the place that Christ has prepared for us, a place where there is perfection, we get to hunger for the place where there is no more awkward, where there is no more abuse, where there is no pain around touch, but rather for eternity, get to see our Lord offering a feast of intimacy, a feast of an eternal feast where we will never run out of opportunities to be comforted, love one another, and treat each other like brother and sister, where literally the scripture tells us sexuality will not play a role in this feast. There will be no piece of that. That is going to be something that was pointing towards that feast. And now in that feast for eternity, we'll get to really relish in that. So I want to encourage everyone listening, go buy Lori's book. It's called Handle with Care. How Jesus Redeems the Power of Touch in Life and Ministry. Even during this time, some of you guys have more time than you, than you normally do. This might be a great time to get a reading group together and say, hey, let's buy this book together that certainly has an impact on what we believe about touch, certainly has an impact on culture right now, and maybe get together a Zoom reading book club and check out Lori's book. Again, it's called Handle with Care, How Jesus Redeems the Power of Touch in Life and Ministry. Lori, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for staying up late and talking with Culture Matters. We sure love you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Rohr. And if you like what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. And you can follow us on Instagram or support our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. Thank you and God bless you.